You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western Big Game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 13, where we talk with Mike Phillips of the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project. What's up, guys? Adam Parr here, coming at you live on the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, all the way from the mountaintops of Colorado. It's a beautiful day out, and it's Thursday, which means it's almost the weekend. So I hope you have some cool plans. Uh, speaking of the network, a couple important changes you need to know. We've kind of broken this into two separate feeds. So if you want to receive all the updates and all the latest podcast episodes from myself, Transition Wild, you're going to want to subscribe to the Western Big Game feed. And uh, so essentially there's two feeds, the Western Big Game feed and the Whitetail RSS feed. So make sure you're aware of that. And um, to make sure you're getting all the updates and the latest episodes, make sure you go over there and subscribe to that feed as well. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. And, um, you know, hope you guys are liking what we're doing. And if you if you are, leave us a good review. Uh, appreciate the five-star reviews and some of the people have left reviews so far. So I appreciate that. Let's see, let's see. Not much going on in my neck of the woods. I finished up some shed hunting in Kansas a week or so ago and went out there and picked up um, six sheds, so that was cool. One was a pretty nice buck. He was probably, uh, I don't know, maybe a 130s buck, not a giant, but still fun to find and still fun to get out there and, and put some miles on the boots. But today we have... Mike Phillips with the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project, and this kind of all stemmed from me flying back from Michigan and seeing uh, a poster or some sort of billboard in the Eagle Colorado Airport, and I was kind of intrigued by it. I didn't really know what it was about, so I kind of looked it up and, um, you know, and, and kind of figured out what their efforts are and, and what this whole program is about, and Let's see, as as somebody from the hunting community and somebody who lives in Colorado, there has been talk of reintroduction of wolves to Colorado. And um, obviously there's a number of other states too, like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, that already have wolves as a presence. Hell, my own, my own state of Michigan has wolves. And um, so it's not anything that's necessarily new, but as of lately, I feel felt like it's getting a decent amount of press and kind of some of this stuff is starting to come to the forefront and it's beginning to be talked about more and the conversations related to it and in Colorado obviously um, like I said I'm a I'm a huge hunter I recreate on public lands and I share these landscapes with with what would be uh, another apex predator in the food chain so for me, it's it's important to to kind of be educated on these topics because it does it it does have a, a very 
um, important impact on my my future and potentially hunting and my career. Um, so I, I like to know about this stuff. And, and to be honest, I'm cl- completely in the dark, or at least I was before this episode, about uh, really about wolves in general. I, I've never had any interactions with them. All I've, all I've seen online is just, you know, the hunters on one side saying that wolves are terrible because they kill the wolf population, or kill <laughs> the wolf population. Uh, they kill the elk and deer in drastic numbers. They wipe out entire herds, and um, it ruins the hunting. And then on the other hand, you have, I don't know what you want to call them, uh, <laughs> other people, let's just say that, that, um, you know, want the reintroduction of wolves that maybe because they love them or have this fascination with wolves. And then, then you have the other side that's kind of more of a science-based approach that goes into, you know, the, the reasons why um, wolves are good for the ecosystem and the reintroduction. So the point of this episode, I, I didn't want to be confrontational. I didn't want to try to argue my agenda or anybody's agenda or try to smash home any points. Really, the reasoning behind this episode was to hear the side of the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project and um, kind of what they're proposing and the research behind it and, and why they're for wolves in Colorado. And Mike is very educated on a number of topics regarding this whole um, introdu- reintroduction and biology of of wolves and the management strategy in other states and just the whole nine yards. So um, again, I, I don't want to come across as somebody who is on either side because at this point, um, you know, it's, it's not about that. It's about education and um, hearing both sides. So without any further delays, let's get Mike Phillips on the line. Hey guys, before we begin, I want to apologize for the bad audio on this side. I must have not clicked the right audio setting, so essentially I recorded through the computer and not the microphone, so it sounds a little echoey, sounds a little blah, but um, hope that doesn't affect things too much. Mike was very well drawn out in his responses. There's not a lot of talking on my end anyways, but I just wanted to let you know about that. Thanks again for tuning in. Let's get Mike on the line. All right. Well, on the line with us now, we have Mike Phillips from the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm good, Adam. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to join you and, and offer some thoughts to you and your listeners about restoring the gray wolf to the great public wildlands of western Colorado. For sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate you taking the time. I uh, actually was flying back from Michigan. I, I did a, a about a week trip home to go visit family. And uh, I was flying back into Eagle, Colorado, where uh, where I live. There's a small airport here. And I saw the there was a billboard, I think, in the, in the baggage claim. And I saw hmm, Rocky Mountain Wolf Project. I wonder what this is. So I looked it up and, and here we are. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, and I'm sorry, Adam, you, what airport did you see that in? That was in the Eagle, like the Vail, Colorado, Eagle, Colorado, oh, that, yeah. that airport. Okay, that's, that's, that's great. Well, we are trying to get the word out, and, and so you know and, 
and your listeners know, the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project can uh, can be learned about at the website. It's just www.rockymountainwolfproject.org, rockymountainwolfproject.org. And quite simply, Adam, the project is a coalition of forward-thinking conservationists and conservation organizations. It's Colorado-based that aims to use education to advance restoration of the gray wolf to the great public wildlands of western Colorado based on the very simple belief that if Coloradans are willing to embrace a reasonable sense of the gray wolf, they will conclude that coexisting with the species is a very straightforward affair that requires only uh, a modicum of accommodation. That, that it's not the real wolf that gets in the way of its future, but rather the mythical wolf, the, the sense of the wolf that it's this marauding beast that's able to exercise its predatory will on a whim. Uh, there, there's nothing truthful about the mythical wolf. Uh, unfortunately, the, the myth is strong, but it's equally true that it is as as strong as it is wrong. And what the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project aims to do is help people come to grips with the real wolf based on decades and decades and decades of scientific study of the gray wolf in a variety of settings. It's important to note, Adam, that the Gray wolf is probably, if not the most studied large mammal in the world, it is certainly one of the most. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and and that's and that's what I'm here for today. I, I wanna I wanna be educated myself and I wanna learn more because it has um has a bit big impact on me. I live in Colorado, I hunt in Colorado, I recreate on public lands where, you know, potentially these wolves would uh be introduced on. Um and uh yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive into this, but before before you kind of gave us a little intro there, but before we kind of dive into all that, I kind of like to find out, you know, a little bit about your backstory, Mike, and uh, you know, where you're from and where you grew up and, you know, what do you do? What's your involvement with the uh with this and yeah. just give us a little bit of story on yourself before we kind of sure. dive into the specifics. Well, Adam, thank you. I uh I know that's useful to your listeners and, and to you. Uh, I've had the good fortune to be involved in in wolf recovery and conservation and research since holy mackerel uh the early 1980s uh, I've been doing this on a near daily basis now for well it's approaching 40 years uh, I had the high honor of serving as the first leader of the red wolf restoration work in the southeastern United States in the 19 19- 80s, that was the first attempt in the history of mankind to restore a carnivore species that had been declared extinct in the wild. After that, I had the high honor of serving as the first leader of the effort to restore gray wolves to Yellowstone National Park and the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. Uh, after that, I had the high honor of co-founding with Ted Turner, the Turner Endangered Species Fund and the Turner Biodiversity divisions, they collectively stand as the world's most significant private efforts 
to redress the extinction crisis in that capacity as a member of the of team turner uh, i've been actively involved in wolf recovery uh, across the united states uh, the fund and the divisions have been in place since well we're, we're going into our 22nd year uh, we have for example maintained at the latter ranch that mr turner owns in southwestern new mexico a a pre-release and captive breeding facility for Mexican wolves, an important part of the federal government's Mexican wolf recovery program. I've been on every Mexican wolf recovery team that's been convened since 1995. I've done wolf research in Alaska. Uh, and on, on top of all of that, I have, Adam, had the high honor to serve in the Montana State Legislature for the last 11 years. I will maintain my state Senate seat through the end of 2020. So I, I've seen the issue of wolf recovery and, and conservation from a decidedly policy perspective as well as a state legislator in a state that supports a good number of gray wolves that are here, you know, quite simply because of recovery activities that were led by the United States Fish and Wildlife Service as they discharged their duties under the Federal Endangered Species Act. So does that thumbnail uh, sketch is, is who I am and, and why I readily acknowledge I don't know a lot of things, but I know a little bit about wolf recovery. <laughs> Sounds good. So are, essentially, are you, I mean, a, is your background biology, a biologist? Is that kind of your full-time gig? Yes, um, I have. Uh, got it. Yeah, yeah, yes, I, I, I uh I have graduate degrees in in uh, in wildlife biology. Uh, I did my graduate work at the University of Alaska in Fairbanks. My my graduate research actually concerned grizzly bear behavior and habitat use in anticipation of of oil and gas. To, uh, I was a I worked on grizzly bear uh, research as a young scientist in Alaska for many years, and and I am by training a, a wildlife biologist, a, a restoration ecologist. I've spent my entire forty year career. Uh, working on restoration projects that focus on imperiled species, plants, birds, fishes, mammals, amphibians, reptiles. And within that universe of work, I've been differentially involved in, in wolf recovery and conservation. So I, I am a scientist by training. I am a politician uh, by uh, necessity. Got it. Got it. So um, in regards to the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project, what what's the reason... What's the reason behind it? I, have you have you had? Um, is this part of the same efforts that went into um, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, and now you're trying to bring this to to Colorado? Or is this something Rocky Mountain Wolf Project? Is this something specifically aimed for Colorado and the reintroduction of wolves there? Well, it's certainly Colorado centric, but much of the work is fashioned after the recovery work that was done elsewhere. The, all of the wolf recovery work that we see in the United States, and there have been some significant strides, even though the gray wolf remains restricted to about 12% of its historical range. In other words, across about 88% of the species historical range, Adam, the gray wolf is extirpated. It's not uncommon. It's gone. Uh, but all of the recovery work that's been done was preceded by important spade work, work that softened the political and intellectual and 
emotional landscape for wolves to be recovered in the northern Rocky Mountains or wolves to be recovered in the Great Lakes states. And most of that spade work involves education, helping people come to grips with the real wolf by setting aside the mythical wolf. Yeah. And, and, and so this is a logical extension of the work that's been going on for decades. It is mandated by federal law. Uh, there is a strong suggestion of a mandate for the wolf to be restored to western Colorado in state law. I can make a case that there's a moral argument for restoring extirpated species. I can make a scientific case for restoring extirpated species. So there's lots of reasons why it is now time to have a conversation about restoring the gray wolf to western Colorado. And I will point out, Adam, when you think about the significance of the effort, western Colorado was so well-suited for gray wolves that it would be a straightforward affair to establish a self-sustaining population. And for this discussion, Adam, let's, uh, let's call a self-sustaining population one that would include at least 250 gray wolves. Now, there's really no population biologist out there who would choke on the notion of 250 being viable. She might wish for more. If 250 is good, then 350 is better. But 250 gray wolves could be fairly considered a viable, self-sustaining population. If that was in place in western Colorado, it would serve as the archstone. It would serve as the final piece for reestablishing the, uh, uh, the connections of gray wolf populations from the high Arctic to the Mexican border. There is, Adam, no place else in the world where you can imagine the restoration of a much maligned and imperiled large carnivore across such a continental landscape. That is, that is a conservation goal of significance. So for all of those reasons, I would have you believe that a serious, thoughtful conversation about restoring the gray wolf to western Colorado is due, if not long overdue. Got it. So I've, I've kind of heard both sides of the spectrum. I mean, obviously for me as a hunter, I, you know, care about our elk populations and deer populations because um, it's something that I love to do. It also generates income for the state, which then, you know, protects uh, and conserves those animals uh, for years to come. And a lot of that money goes to towards those efforts. And then I've also heard the other side of kind of the argument of, you know, wolves bring sort of a balance to the, you know, ecosystem and maybe other animals or habitat will flourish because of it. Can you kind of explain both arguments and both sides for or against the, the wolf reintroduction and, and kind of how all that plays out? Yeah, it's a wonderful question, Adam. I, I will be, admit uh, that I'm hard-pressed to make uh, an oppositional argument to wolf restoration based on the perspective of a big-game hunter. Uh, I can more easily make an oppositional argument based on the perspective of a rancher, and we, we can get to that. But I, I have a much harder time seeing how a, uh, a, a contemporary big-game hunter that celebrates wild places and wild things and celebrates all there is to 
big game, big game hunting, wouldn't find a kindred connection, a powerful kindred connection with another great hunter, that, of course, being, being the gray wolf. And so for the big game hunters that listen to your podcast, here's some, here's some math that, that makes it all really quite simple. Gray wolves are not complicated. And, and Adam, you can, you can uh, jot these numbers down. Uh, you, you can note that a gray wolf wakes up every morning, and she's got to go to work just like you and me. She's got to go to work. And, and for a gray wolf, going to work means uh, she's got to put 7 to 10 pounds of food in her belly on average every day. Now, now, gray wolves go many, many days with no food. Theirs is a feast or famine existence. But when you take their, their consumption rates out over many, many, many days for them to be good and healthy, they need to consume 7 to 10 pounds of food on average a day. So let's just make the math easy. 10 pounds a day. 10 pounds a day, that's 70 pounds a week. That's 280 pounds a month. That's about what a gray wolf would get in the form of sustenance from one adult cow elk. So one adult cow elk a month. For each wolf, that's 12 a year. Just to be on the safe side, so we're not underestimating predatory impacts, let's almost double it. Let's say 20. 20, the equivalent of 20 adult cow elk a year per wolf, per wolf. And, 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 and let's assume, again, just working from our wolf population that's 250 strong, that equates to the equivalent of 5,000 adult cow elk a year. Now, in western Colorado, I'm quite confident that the wolf would mostly exist in an elk economy, but they're going to kill some deer too. So let's say, let's say that uh, they've got to consume the equivalent of 5,000 adult cow elk a year, Let's assume that half of that, half of that's got to come in the form of, of deer. So we take our 5,000 elk, and we're going to cut it in half, and we're going to say 2,500 elk. And, and let's say for this little exercise that three adult deer equal one adult cow elk. So I still have 2,500 elk to account for. So that would be the equivalent of 7,500 deer. So when you put those two numbers together, uh, you could fairly say that uh, a wolf population that was 250 wolves strong would consume, would need to consume the equivalent of about 10,000 adult elk and deer a year, 2,500 elk, 7,500 deer, 10,000 total. Hold that thought. Colorado Parks and Wildlife has very good survey data for deer that you can find them online. They run through, last time I looked, 2004 to 2015. And, and they, show, they show that for those many, many years, on average, uh, big game hunters would kill, on average, an annual number of about 80,000 deer and elk. And after that offtake, Adam, after that take of about 80,000 deer and elk by big game hunters in Colorado, after that, the state still supported, on average, over 700,000 deer and elk. So, so the gray wolves are going to work a uh, deer and elk population that includes hundreds of thousands of individuals, of which they've got to secure about 10,000 deer and elk. But my point of the math is really quite simple. There's such an abundance of deer and elk 
in western Colorado. There is more than enough to go around for the recreational hunter and a self-sustaining viable population of gray wolves. Now, now that said, that said, uh, wolf predation may cause deer and elk to be different. In some areas, predation may be more pronounced than area, other areas. Uh, wolf predation may change somebody's long-standing honey hole. But, but, but there is such an abundance of game in western Colorado. And, and we're really talking about so few wolves that I am convinced that, that wolf predation would not upset the big game hunting apple cart in Colorado. It certainly has not upset the apple cart in the northern Rocky Mountains. Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, the three states collectively support between 1,500 and 2,000 gray wolves, and all three states still offer robust hunting opportunities, including many, many areas uh, that also support gray wolves. You know, you know, Adam, uh, as a state legislator, I, I, have, I have seen up close and personal the data the state of Montana has. We have so many elk in the state that our game commission has recently instituted an increasing number of, of uh, shoulder season hunts. For heaven's sakes, uh, not long ago, you could hunt elk just outside Bozeman near my home into mid-February. And this is an area that supports a good number of gray wolves, too. And these, these, these shoulder season hunts exist because the state believes there's too many elk in certain areas. Most elk management units in Montana, a state that supports 500 gray wolves, uh, most management units in this state in wolf country are either at or over the state's elk population objective for each elk management unit. So the point here is there's more than enough to go around. All the big game hunter of Colorado needs to do is really truly celebrate that gray wolves add wildness to a landscape and find a way to have a kindred connection with another great hunter. Wow. Yeah, that's uh very, very interesting facts there, Mike. I, I mean, it sounds like obviously you know you know your stuff. Yeah. We talked to, talked about you know. Well, and, uh, yeah, I want to. I, I forgot to. I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, go excuse ahead. me for interrupting, but I want to add and one thing that that I know I, I know big game hunters and, and I hunt big game. Uh, I, I know we hold in in regard the health of the herds uh, because of the nature of how the gray wolf is forced to make a living, and they're really not any good at it. They, they struggle uh, for a gray wolf. Life is a daily struggle to survive. Starvation is common. Injuries from hunting are common. Most attempts by gray wolves to hunt fail. And, and again, I'm, I'm relaying data that have been collected over decades. We, we know a lot about gray wolves. Seven, eight times out of ten, their hunts end in failure. I did a study of gray wolves in Alaska years ago, Adam. I looked at over 200 skulls for evidence of blunt force trauma. I was interested, how often did they get kicked by a moose? Uh, and these were skulls that came from animals that had been killed by Alaska Department of Fish and Game as a result of control efforts to minimize predation on a moose population or a caribou herd. So these animals had been shot. I was looking at skulls from animals that had been shot. And fully a quarter of the skulls that I looked at showed evidence of blunt force trauma, broken jaw, broken nose, broken skull. It's very hard to make a living in the woods with your teeth 
Rolf Peterson, a good friend of mine, has studied wolves and moose on Isle Royale National Park in Lake Superior since 1972. Rolf has done a lot of necropsies of gray wolves. A necropsy is just an autopsy of an animal. And I, I, Rolf relayed to me one time he's never seen a dead wolf that did not show evidence of blunt force trauma, broken leg, broken rib, broken nose. It's very difficult for them to make a living. Most of their hunting efforts, as I said, as I said, fail. And, 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 and yet people tend to overblow their predatory impacts. But here's what really matters that I failed to point out. Because life is tough, gray wolves are very good at finding some advantage. As a coursing predator, they're predisposed to look for some advantage, something that gives them an opportunity to be successful. In other words, they're looking for prey that are predisposed to predation. It could be young prey. It could be old prey. It could be an animal with an arthritic hip. It could be an animal that makes a bad decision. But they're looking for an advantage. And because of that, Adam, there's some strong logic that would say wolves should be a useful governor on the spread of important diseases like chronic wasting disease. Uh, you think about it. If a gray wolf's looking for an advantage, holy mackerel, a disease that is causing a, a deer or an elk to waste away has to be a huge benefit to the gray wolf. That's exactly the kind of prey that a gray wolf would be differentially interested in. So I would also point out that wolf predation has the potential to serve as a governor on the spread of really difficult diseases that challenge the big game hunting industry, like chronic wasting disease. And I would say to all of your listeners, the Center for Disease Control in this country has said, although there's no direct link between an elk or a deer having CWD and it being transmissible to humans, we still recommend you don't eat that meat. And there are some new data coming online, Adam, that shed further light on the potential for CWD to be transmitted to humans. And, and that, that's why the professionals are saying, you know, don't eat. Don't eat a CWD deer. Fair enough. That's, that's good instruction. But, Adam, as you know, as your listeners know, you can't tell. In many cases, there's no way you can tell. Is that deer at your feet, is that elk at your feet, CWD positive or not? Shit, man, it's kind of a, kind of a crapshoot. So my, my point is you can celebrate the potential for wolf predation to be a cleansing force of sorts to ensure that our game herds are as healthy as they can be. Got it. Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, paint a, a really good picture there, and I, I guess I didn't even think about that from a standpoint of you know potential disease control and and everything like that. It's it's certainly interesting. Um, and uh, and going back to so you said you basically kind of based those numbers around two hundred and fifty wolves. Is that kind of the target? Uh, number that you're looking to build up to over a certain time period, and and is and is that the number you're looking to establish? Um, and what I guess what is the management strategy behind that um, to to manage that population? So let's say it it doesn't grow beyond that, um, and and let's say grow and and maybe decimate populations. Further, talk to us a little bit about the management strategy behind the introduction, if, if this were to happen. Sure. Well, well please know that, that I, I don't have a particular population objective in mind. My, my, my involvement as a member of the science advisory team that is working uh, on behalf of the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project is to make sure that the project goes forward 
to stimulate a conversation about wolves being restored to western Colorado in a truthful, science-based manner. That, that, that's my job. And, and then I would say about population objectives, I, I think that largely falls to Coloradans to decide. Uh, now, that said, here's an important point that everybody has to come to grips with. Some of your listeners won't appreciate this perspective, but that, that doesn't make it any less true. The, the best habitat for gray wolves in western Colorado is federal public land, uh, about, well, uh, slightly more than 17 million acres of federal public land in the form of national forests and BLM holdings. Consequently, wolf restoration to western Colorado really is a national issue. Somebody might say, oh, gee whiz, Mike, why are you coming down to Colorado and stirring things up? You live in Montana. Go the hell home. And I'd say, well, fair enough, fair enough. But you know what? That's my White River National Forest, too. That's my San Juan National Forest, too. Just like, just like Yellowstone National Park is your park, too. Just like the Gallatin National Forest is your park or your forest, too. So, so because these are big tracts of federal public lands, everybody in the country has a right uh, to involve themselves in, in the future of these federal public lands. But that said, that said, I'm also a believer that that local folks uh, should have uh, differential, at least slightly differential say in what's happening in their backyard. And so I'd say, well, you know, let's see what Coloradans decide. Coloradans may settle on an approach that's like Montana's. Montana, my, my home state, has about 500 gray wolves. That's a number that's been pretty steady. You can expect it's going to persist. It's not going to grow to be 5,000 strong or 50,000 strong. But similarly, it's probably not going to drop to 50. Well, you know, five, 500 is a pretty good number. The state has a few wolf management specialists that they employ. I think there's about four that their job is to uh, work on wolf uh, conservation and coexistence strategies on a on a daily basis, they work for Montana Fish, Wife, and Parks. There's a lot of western Montana that's like western Colorado. I could imagine that Parks and Wildlife would have a similar wolf conservation program and three or four good biologists on staff to promote coexistence. And, and so that's, that's how I would kind of see the management going forward. Gray wolves are really pretty easy to manage. They're not very subtle. That They grew up always in an evolutionary sense as the big dog on the block, so they're not very subtle. They've got big feet, for heaven's sakes. They've got skillets for feet, so they leave a lot of sign that, that's easy to interpret for the most part. They, they, they shit on the road, and they howl at the moon, and, and they're social, so they tend to occur in groups. They're not very subtle. When they're in an area, it's pretty easy to know it. And so consequently, being aware of their presence facilitates management. They really, Adam, if you take a fair look at the gray wolf, it's fairly easy to coexist with because it's pretty obvious, not hard to manage, and doesn't require anything particularly special except don't be killed, don't kill them needlessly. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, here's a, here's, a good, here's a good example, and your listeners can appreciate this. You know, recently we went through the, we might even call it the sage-grouse debacle, 
federal government says, oh, boy, sage grouse aren't doing very well. If you don't step up, states, we're going to have no choice but to list the sage grouse under the Endangered Species Act. Now, Adam, the sage grouse, because of its life history characteristics, that's a species. Now, that's a species that has real potential to disrupt the rhythm of the, the rural lifestyle of the Rocky Mountain West. But, but what did the states do? What did Montanans and Coloradans do uh, in response? The states rose up. They developed uh, impressive conservation plans. They came together and put those plans as a bundle in front of the United States Department of Interior. And that prompted the United States Fish and Wildlife Service to say, we don't need to list the, the greater sage grouse. There's all this good conservation work that's being done by the states. We don't need to use the hammer that is the Endangered Species Act. Adam, I was proud as a Montana state senator to vote yes on, a, uh, on Montana's Sage Grouse Stewardship Act. And then we backed up the act with a second vote, a vote of a $10 million appropriation to provide funding for implementing that stewardship Act and in the state of Montana, ten million dollars—a lot of money. Do us, for heaven's sakes, we've got fewer than a million residents. That's a lot of money in Montana. And, and then across, you know, Adam, across the West, states came together, industry came together, and they assembled nearly three quarters of a billion dollars to say to the country, "We've got the sage grouses back." And, and that's a species that has real potential because of its biological needs to disrupt the, the rhythm, as I said, of the rural Western lifestyle. You know, shit, man, the gray wolf doesn't have any of those needs. The gray wolf just needs to be left alone. And in contrast to the sage grouse, where we all come together, uh, the, the gray wolf just divides us for no good reason. It, it shocks me that nearly three-quarters of a billion dollars and all this beautiful work being lined up for a species that really is a problem and then on the other hand, for the gray wolf, that isn't the problem. We can't find common ground to stand together because people are unwilling to give up the mythical wolf, that it will decimate game herds. No, it won't. That it will destroy the, the livestock industry. No, it won't. That it represents a threat to human safety. No, it isn't. The real wolf is so easy compared to things like the greater sage grouse. We just have to find room to accommodate. Got it. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm just soaking all this in, Mike. You're, um, listening to you. I'm just, it's, it's just so much to take in. I'm just trying to wrap my head around it. So this is, this is all good stuff. I appreciate it. Um, so in, in regards to, let's say, um, so Colorado, I mean, there's, there's obviously hunting is, and is a big part of our kind of economy and there's uh, a lot of, uh, money generated, from that, um, do you do you have any numbers behind like the management? I, we'll keep going back to this management strategy and and all that stuff. But how are taxpayer dollars involved? And um, I, for myself, know that Colorado and a lot of states are kind of underfunded in a lot of regards, as far as you know, wildlife officers and management of the resource in general. Um, do you think adding another species to this management role underneath this umbrella is is going to, you know, further use those resources that are already underfunded? Um, do you have any numbers on kind of the 
the role tax dollars play and, and how that gets wrapped into everything? Yeah, Adam, that's a great question. And, and in many ways, the uh, softest part of the underbelly of the idea of restoring gray wolf, the softest part of the underbelly is costs. I, I don't know. I, 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 don't, I don't have a specific approach for how one would fund the restoration and then subsequent manage of the gray wolf in Colorado. I, I know the numbers for both activities aren't necessarily big. Uh, having done this kind of work for a long time, I'm confident that you and me and just two more people with uh, three good trucks, a couple of good computers, good boots, good field gear, uh, just the four of us, we could, we could achieve the restoration in rather straight, straightforward manner. It wouldn't take us long. Restoration would be done in three to five years. would only involve, oh, shoot, if we could translocate 30, 40 gray wolves from Montana, uh, proper groups, and then uh, handle their releases properly, that would be the big that'd be a big enough seed to give rise to a self-sustaining population. The, the thirty or forty that we might cut loose through the end of year two, let's say end of year two, by oh gee was t- year ten, uh, they they probably would have given rise to a group that's fifty, sixty, seventy strong or more, maybe a hundred strong. And, and each year that the four of us are doing that, Adam, we'd need to operate against. Well, you know, let's say we're paying the biologist a decent wage, and say we're paying the biologist forty grand a year—not great money, but you're not going to go hungry. Uh, and then benefits, you know, health insurance, and uh, on and on and on and on. You could probably run that restoration phase out across uh, oh, seven hundred and fifty thousand to a million dollars a year, uh, and then and then the cost would decrease slightly. Uh, but you probably on average after about year 10 would want to still push out a wolf program that might cost the state half a million to a million a year. And those are sub, those are substantial numbers there. It's not cheap, but, but, you know, in the scheme of things, a uh, million dollars doesn't have to be seen as a deal breaker, but I realize that CPW uh, has a lot to do and probably doesn't have nearly sufficient funds to do it all. So you, you got to figure out the, the cost. That's a fair question, and and maybe Coloradans would rise up. Maybe 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 guys like you and me could say uh, we're gonna we're gonna raise private money and establish a a a wolf conservation and management endowment fund, and we're gonna work hard until that endowment fund is say ten million dollars strong, and then we'd forever protect the corpus but we'd invest it smartly so that we could pull off interest of two, three, four, five, six percent a year to offset the cost of wolf management and conservation. In Montana, in Montana, they, they with uh, a, a, a secure population in place, they sell wolf licenses. I'm not advocating for a, a wolf hunting and trapping season in Colorado or a wolf hunting season, but Coloradans may think that's appropriate. And and Montanans reached that conclusion, and those permits bring in about $300,000 a year. So while gray wolves aren't carrying all the water, you know, they, they've got some skin in the game. So, so those are some thoughts about how you could make the project fiscally whole. It's a good question and would deserve proper consideration to have a good, 
final answer on how to how to pay for it all. Got it. Got it. So, um, I, I as far as I know, wolves are. I think you mentioned it earlier. Are managed federally and um, are not currently managed by the state, obviously, because there's not really a, a population here. Um, how would how would that dynamic work? Would it would it transfer transfer from a federally managed program and then be in the hands of the Colorado Parks and Wildlife and which would then be based off of data and public kind of interaction and um, kind of that conversation or how do how do other states do it? Talk to us about that dynamic between federally and managed uh, state managed programs and how it all plays out. Yeah, no, that's another great question, Adam. Thank you. Uh, as long as the gray wolf is protected under the Federal, Enda- Federal Endangered Species Act, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service's authority uh, has primacy. But, but, there is Section 6 of the Federal ESA. Section 6 is simple. It says, it says that the Secretary of Interior has the authority to provide management authority for a listed species to a state fish and game department in the presence of a proper conservation plan that would advance recovery. So in the Northern Rocky Mountains, as an example, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service said to Montana, Wyoming, and Idaho, we would love for you to lead the reintroduction projects that aim to establish populations that can count against the recovery objectives so eventually the gray wolf can be removed from the federal list of threatened and endangered species. The states here said, no, 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 we don't think to do with it. Y'all, y'all, you're, you're going to have to do all. We're not going to get involved in this. This is going to be a pain in the ass. We don't want anything to do with it, it being the implementation. And so the Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Park Service went forward principally on their own. And then when success was at hand uh, and delisting was imminent, the states developed a management plan that said to the feds, once you delist the gray wolf in Montana from the Federal Endangered Species Act, you remove it from federal protections, here's the plan that we will employ to ensure that the species is okay. So eventually, in the presence of sufficient success, the feds get out of the way and it becomes a state trust species managed by the state of Montana or managed by the state of Colorado, like any other uh, species would be managed that's not either migratory waterfowl or imperiled as protected under the Federal Endangered Species Act. So there's a logical way to bring the states on board. And that can come right from the beginning. Colorado Parks and Wildlife could do all the work as authorized under Section 6 by the Secretary. Or CPW could say, oh, no, 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 we don't want to touch the thing with a 10-foot pole. A- and the Fish and Wildlife Service would have the authority to go ahead and, and act on behalf of the the gray wolf and, and the need to recover it under federal law. So so that's how it all works out. Uh, I will say, this is a great question. You know, some people would say, Adam, my gosh, Mike is crazy. Gray wolves are already here. Uh, this is just all, this is all crazy talk. Don't need to, don't need to reintroduce gray wolves. They're already here and they're coming. Well, first and foremost, that's not true. It's not true. There's some data that show gray wolves wander in on rare occasions I know of five good, solid data points over about a decade. Five individual wolves are going a great big walkabout. That includes Colorado. There's that old Russian proverb, Adam, that says, a wolf is kept fed by its feet. 
And all it means is they have this tremendous capacity to wander over distance, which is true. But an occasional wolf on a great big walkabout does not a population make. Moreover, if gray wolves come into Colorado on their own, well, right now, they're fully protected as endangered under the Federal Endangered Species Act, which means the CPW has no management authority or no management options whatsoever uh, because fully endangered species are protected uh, very closely by federal law. The very best way to advance wolf recovery in Colorado is through reintroductions. And if you're willing to be proactive through reintroductions, the federal government has easy techniques that can be employed at the ready to ensure that your management scheme is respectful of the needs and concerns of local citizens. So for anybody that would say, you know, Adam, I'm okay with gray wolves. I just don't think we should monkey with reintroductions. Let's just wait for them to come in on their own. Well, if they're being sincere and they truly are okay with gray wolves, and they're really only wondering about the mechanism that brings their presence about, natural recolonization versus reintroduction, the best deal for Colorado is reintroductions. Because then you can be a, a, a master of your fate because the federal government and the state government could develop a very responsive management scheme to account for the needs and concerns of local citizens. Got it. Yeah, makes all good stuff, Mike. All good stuff. Um, I, I'm kind of, I don't really know much about how this process works, but Talk to me a little bit about the legislation process or what's what's kind of the timeline of all of this was is this just being oh. uh, put on the table has this been in the works for a couple of years what how does the process go about as far as engaging the public is this a vote is this uh come down to the state senate i, I i'm just completely lost uh on that whole yeah. side of things describe how that dynamic uh would work in regards to putting this in place and what timeline that would be yeah, so another great question. Thank you for having given good thought to uh, to the questions. Uh, first, you know, how long has this been going on? I've been noodling on wolf restoration in Western Colorado since 1995, and and I've been focused on it for so long because the western half of the state really is a motherload of opportunity for gray wolves. This tremendous assemblage of public lands that's populated by a very accommodating uh, prey populations. It's it's just it's God's gift to gray wolves. I can make the case that it's the best habitat for gray wolves in the world. Uh, moreover, uh, it was the only, in my estimation, it's the only future for the Mexican wolf, Canis lupus bailei, that will ever be something worth celebrating. And I, I said for a long time, years and years and years, and built out very good science that supported this claim that the Mexican wolf recovery program to succeed needed to develop a Mexican wolf recovery region that went as far north as at least west central Colorado and, and gave Canis lupus bailei access to the great opportunity that is the that is that is is western Colorado. As it turns out, the federal government chose to proceed differently with the future of the Mexican wolf recovery program. They they chose the southern option for advancing recovery. The southern option is uh, focusing Mexican wolf recovery from central Arizona and central New Mexico south into Mexico. And they have no intentions of moving the Mexican wolf 
recovery program forward. Okay, that's fine. When you look at the history of wolf biogeographic patterns, what we know is that Four Corners region, Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, was a great big mixing zone. Historically, you go back 400 years, it was a great big mixing zone. Northern wolves drifted south and southern wolves drifted north. And in that, in that Four Corners region, that's where they all kind of bumped into one another. And so you could make a strong science-based case for the Mexican wolf being part of the Colorado effort. You can make a case for a big-footed elk killer out of Montana being part of the Colorado project. You can make a case for a slightly smaller-footed deer killer out of Minnesota being part of the Colorado project. So you, you, you can kind of choose which, which, which wolf. So I've been working on this for quite a long while. There's a lot of great science that backs all of this up, peer-reviewed journal articles. Uh, I can share them with you and your readers if there's, if there's interest. But, but fundamentally, then, how would all this science be exercised? What would lead to final decision? Uh, well, you know, as I said, it's all spade work. It's all trying to move the Colorado public in the direction of recognizing that accommodating gray wolves in the western half of the state is not that big a deal. It's moving the national public in the same direction, reminding the United States Fish and Wildlife Service that they have a mandate to move forward to recover the gray wolf because it remains listed and fully protected under federal law. And eventually, if the Northern Rockies is an example, or the Mexican wolf is an example, a Secretary of Interior would develop a team. The team would develop a recovery plan. It would be a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service-based team. That team would work closely with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, for example, develop a recovery plan that called for reintroductions to restore a population that could count to recovery. The feds would try to get the state as involved as possible because state-federal partnerships are important. But if the state didn't want to go forward, well, the United States Fish and Wildlife Service has authority to go forward it alone. For heaven's sakes, if the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service always had to wait on state support for wolf recovery program, I'd still be sitting on a dock in Manio, North Carolina, waiting to let the first red wolves go. And we did that work back in 1986 and 1987. So, of course, the federal government can go forward because we know the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution makes clear that federal law trumps state law. And therefore, the Endangered Species Act is an important piece of legislation, whether you're a Coloradan or you're a Floridian or you're an employee of CPW or an employee of the United States Fish and Wildlife Service. So it would play, it'd be a long, drawn-out process that would be based on people coming together and rising to the fly of opportunity that is the great patch of suitable habitat in western Colorado. Got it, got it. And are there any, like, upcoming... Um, events or public meetings on this. Um, talk to us a little bit no. about like where we can go to engage further, maybe further resources, yeah. education, all that stuff. Talk to us about that. Well, you certainly can go to the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project's website. Uh, CPW has good information available, too. Uh, I will say the state of Colorado has the best wolf management plan uh, in place in the Rocky Mountain West. Uh, it's a great plan. It's, in my estimation, at least as good as Montana's is not better. And Colorado's do a great deal of credit because they put this good plan in place a long time ago. Mon Montana didn't put their good plan in place until they, they, you know, they absolutely had to. And it's a good plan. I'm not being critical of Montana, but Colorado was even more proactive. It was a good plan developed and uh, authorized many years ago. It was assembled by a group of diverse stakeholders. They offered it to the commission 
with a unanimous vote. It's a good plan. It's Colorado's Coloradans should be proud of the work that their neighbors did and in developing the plan. It, it, it says thing, simple things like gray wolves will be welcomed wherever they don't cause problems. And that's a good sort of intellectual hurdle to get past because gray wolves don't read maps. You know, shit, they don't, they don't know when they're here or there. And so it's fair for us to say, if they're not causing a problem, their presence is okay. And if they are causing a problem, then, then we have to manage the animals to resolve the problem. That's what it means in this country to celebrate wildlife and coexistence. Sometimes you got to manage them. And the plan anticipated that. And it is important to note, it was offered to the commission unanimously. You can find that plan online. It just go to CPW's website and hunt around. You'll find it. Now, I will say this, though. The, the plan is premised on the notion of natural recolonization. The plan doesn't speak favorably about reintroductions. It speaks about, well, if they get here on their own, then they're going to be welcomed. I think in that regard, the plan is short-sighted. I, I don't think that the wolves are going to get to Colorado in sufficient numbers to give rise to a viable population. I can explain why I believe that. I think most wolf biologists would very much agree with me. As a matter of fact, I know they do. Uh, moreover, it, it doesn't it doesn't properly credit the need for a, a sophisticated management plan because, as I said, if gray wolves do arrive on their own, they're fully endangered, and the and CPW doesn't have the management authority that really is needed to do a good job promoting coexistence. Uh, so you can find good information at CPW's website. It, it, you, you guys have a great state game agency. I've had the good fortune to work with state game agencies all across the United States. They're all staffed by well-trained, committed biologists and good administrators. Uh, and, and, and CPW has got great talent and would be more than capable of moving wolf recovery forward. And, and so they've got good information, too. Uh, the Rocky Mountain Wolf Project website, you can find good information there, too. Uh, but there's, you know, this is all just beginning, Adam. I don't, I, I can't say, you know, go to this event and go to that event because, you know, there really aren't a lot of events lined up. This is just the beginning of trying to stimulate a thoughtful, serious, proper discussion about restoring the gray wolf to Western Colorado. That makes sense. And, and where, so is this something where people can email Colorado Parks and Wildlife? Can they send them a letter? Can they call them? Um, should they be voicing their opinions or concerns um, to state senators, congressmen? Um, what's kind of the best way um, for everybody, not just hunters, uh, ranchers, uh, recreation, you know, people that are out there using public lands, where, what is the right step that that we can take in order to kind of voice our voice our opinions and and for everyone to kind of play a role in this decision process. Yeah, that's another great question. Thank you. Uh, and I'll admit to my bias as a state senator and and a person that has invested my time and my family's time in in the in our political process. I'm proud. I'm proud of America's approach to serving the collective. I'm proud of our representative democracy. I think it's the best system of governance in the world. And we as a collective have the capacity to be great citizens. And, and that's why I think we can fairly consider ours a great country. So engagement is key. Of course, engagement is key. Of course, contacting CPW, of course, contacting a state senator or a federal official. Of course, that makes sense. Adam, everybody's got to remember 
that the president and the governor and they all work for us. They all work for us. We sometimes forget that, and some of our elected officials get to taking themselves entirely too seriously. But they work for us, the the citizens. We're the bosses, and and I would have you believe to discharge our duties as bosses requires that we engage. So of course engagement is good. But here here's where things get interesting. Not just any old engagement. You know, uh, opinions are like body parts. Everybody's got one. Uh, what you need to do is engage, engage with reliable knowledge. You need to invest your time and learn about this issue. And conclude, I'm going to oppose wolf restoration for the following reasons. I understand this, that, and the other. I've invested my time. I understand, and yet I still am opposed. Or conversely, I have invested my time. I've come to understand, and here's why I support it. But just calling up and and bitching and moaning because you got an opinion. I heard this buddy of mine from Wyoming said he can't kill any more elk because the wolves have killed them all. Well, you know what? Come on. That's not a way to serve this country. Not on hearsay and somebody flapping their gums. Shit, man, talk is cheap. So you got to invest. Invest in the issue. Talk to people that you know know. Read. Not just one site. Look around. Look around. Look at that site. Look at this site. The best stuff to read, Adam, is the peer-reviewed literature. The the, the peer-reviewed literature is good science. It's not perfect. I mean, shit, it's got its faults, too, because it's all assembled by people, and people have faults. But the peer-reviewed literature is the best that we've got. There's some good work being done in the northern Rocky Mountains about gray wolves and livestock and gray wolves and big game. And, of course, wolves in western Colorado would be consequential. But, but, but not to the point of saying, oh, my gosh, we can't handle those consequences. Colorado was too humanized for gray wolves. You know, there's gray wolves in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan, thousands of animals in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Michigan. They're more humanized than Colorado. There's wolves in Italy, wolves in Spain, wolves in Germany. Yeah, all those European countries are more humanized than western Colorado. But, but, but if you're not willing to invest, I would say, for heaven's sakes, please don't call anybody and offer some bullshit opinion. Hell, anybody can do that. You know, Adam, when I ran my first political campaign, I got beat. I got beat. Uh, I, I did talk radio for a time. I was the, there was the lone progressive voice on AM 1450, AMMS, open range. I had drive time, 4 to 6 every Friday afternoon. And I would tee up certain questions. And all of a sudden, I was on air bemoaning the lack of participation in a Bozeman City Commission race. And it dawned on me. And I said on air, you know what, folks, I hope you stay the hell home. I hope you don't vote. And if you do vote, at least cast an informed vote, but I hope you don't vote. Because if I take my time and I learn about the candidates and I cast an informed vote and I'm the only one voting, I might as well be king. So I would hope that your listeners engage, but they engage with a studied opinion. Because then it really matters. Yeah, and that and that's you know why we're doing this, and that's why uh, you know we're having you on the show to help spread awareness. Um, you know, I can tell you're very passionate about this. It sounds like it's been a very big part of your life's work, Mike. And um, you know, I'm I'm just for myself. You know, I'm just looking to con- continue the conversation. And um, you know, I I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, I've kept you here long enough, <laughs> going on uh, almost an hour here, but. Um, 
yeah, any any last thoughts? Um, any last statements? Um, again, where can we go? Uh, RockyMountainWolfProject.org, I believe. Um, you know, any, uh, any last words that uh, anybody should know? Well, I thank you. And I know I have rambled, and I apologize. Hopefully you can edit <laughs> this so that your your listeners don't have to hear me just flap my gums on and on and on. No, but, no. But I'll, I'll, I'll state the obvious. Hunters have always mattered. Hunters are due a tremendous amount of credit for the great wildlife populations that we have in this country. You know, you go back in time before Aldo Leopold died fighting a fire in Wisconsin. His was the most untimely death. Leopold is as close to the father of wildlife management as we'll ever have in this country. And uh, when he was doing his work in the 20s and 30s, uh, he observed uh, that a, a most important point, he, he actually opined, he opined that the science of wildlife management grew out of a need for things to shoot. In the 20s and 30s, our great game herds were gone. And, and, and people don't know this, but it is true. The great wildlife restoration stories involve bobwhite quail and ringneck pheasants and, and elk and white-tailed deer and mule deer and pronghorn. We have brought, and turkeys, we have brought the great game populations back. We did so on purpose. The one, interestingly enough, great ungulate that got left behind was the American Plains bison, but that's a whole separate story. But hunters, men and women that hunt are due credit for most of that success story. And that's worth celebrating. Uh, our hunters in this country are some of our most effective conservationists. And, and I'm convinced they can rise to the fly of wolf conservation by taking a hard look at the issue and looking at Western Colorado and saying, oh my gosh, this makes sense. I can share this landscape with a, another great hunter. And, and so I would ask your listeners to acknowledge that the hunters that came before have done a lot of great conservation lifting. And, and now it's time for us to try to step up and do our part of of, of leaving this place a little better than we found it and acknowledging that the gray wolf, at the end of the day, the real wolf, pretty easy to coexist with. And I can't imagine, at least for myself, a more memorable experience than to be out hunting or fishing or hiking, canoeing, and sharing that with the gray wolf and, and hearing the, the, the great wilderness sound of the wolf howling. They, they really are an important part of what it means for a place to be wild and free. And I think hunters can appreciate that. For sure. For sure. Well, Mike, thanks again. This is, this has been very educational for myself and, and I think it will be for a lot of the listeners. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate your time and thanks again for coming on the show as this develops maybe further for we could have you back on for future input or you know future episodes if if you're up for it. It'd be my honor, and 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 I would welcome if you could keep me apprised when when the podcast is available. Uh, I I might try to listen. I might try to share it. If I don't sound too silly, I might share it. Otherwise, I'll just turn it off and they call him Arrow. I'm glad that's over. <laughs> no, this is this has been great. You're you're selling yourself short there, Mike. Um, very very well spoken and, and very well educated on this topic and the biology of everything. So yeah, certainly will. I'll let you know when it launches and um, yeah, thanks again and uh, have a great rest of your day. All right. Thank you.
And there it is, another episode in the books. I hope you guys like that. I mean, for me, it was very educational. Um, obviously, I'm a hunter. I, I didn't want to, again, I didn't want to really start a fight or an argument. That's not what this is about. Um, because I really don't know. I, I'm not coming across as somebody who has the answers or has all the data and has all the statistics and has lived in this whole realm of wolf and human and, you know, prey interactions. So I, I really just don't have a clue. So I, I'm curious to what you guys think about this. And um, after hearing what Mike had to say on, on some of his um propositions or reasons why the wolves should should be here um you know what are your thoughts where has it changed your view on this and or is it still you know maybe maybe you've dealt with wolves before or you've had those interactions maybe you live in idaho or have hunted there or been to montana and you've seen it firsthand so i'd, I'd be curious to hear your opinions i'm sure there's going to be some stuff on social media um you can shoot me an email i'd love to hear from you and i think this is something that i'm going to need to follow up on another episode um, at a later date probably within the next month or two and um i i, I just have to get somebody from more of the hunting side or somebody uh, from from ranching or farmers that have dealt and lived in and around these wolves. So if any of you have somebody in mind that would be a good person to have on the show, shoot me a note, shoot me an email at transitionwild.com, go to the contact page, and, and reach out because it's not just a one-sided conversation. It's not just one group of people. It's not just hunters. It's not just uh, people riding mountain bikes and camping and recreating on these lands. It's not just the um, people that are for the wolves. It's it's all of us together. So we need to get involved, um, educate yourself, and listen and read all that you can because this, this is coming. It's uh, something that's probably not going to go away. And so we just need to to educate ourselves and do what we can to best manage um, this if it were to happen, if there was a reintroduction. So with that being said, um, let's let's wrap this up here pretty soon. But make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube channel. I'd love to hear from you guys. I love seeing your photos. Um, thanks again for all the messages and emails for the support. I really appreciate that. It keeps me going, keeps me energized, keeps me wanting to keep do this all the time. So, uh, I, I love it. I appreciate guys. Appreciate the hell out of you and, uh, make sure you're subscribing to the Sportsman's Nation podcast network. Again, it's broken into two feeds. If you want to receive all of the latest podcast episodes from Transition Wild, you have to subscribe to that Western Big Game feed. Uh, but make sure you're checking out the other podcasts on the other network, on the, or the other feed. Um, a lot of good whitetail content there. It's kind of planning and, and springtime, and there's no off-season, so a lot of good content coming out there. And then uh, make sure you're supporting my Western brothers as well, Sun Outdoors and Hardworking Hunter. Lots and lots of good stuff. All right, I'm done babbling my mouth. <laughs> I love you guys. Appreciate the hell out of you. And I hope you guys have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.